It is a pleasure to have you here as we kick off season three of the Pressing Forward podcast. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Mercedes Okosi, who is a licensed clinical psychologist out of the state of New York. Um, she has experience in treating individuals with a range of complex psychological disorders and you know different socioeconomic stressors. Um, today's topic is going to be generational trauma. Um, as we know, generational trauma is something that affects many communities, many ethnic groups. Um, I don't think it discriminates to any any sort of group. So, um, you know, we're going to be talking about just environmental factors, um, how tradition plays into that um, comparison. Let's just dive right into it for today's episode. Hey, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Pressing Forward podcast. Um, on today's episode, we have Dr. Okosi. Um, today's topic we're going to be talking about, I think, is, is truly important, especially in, you know, the African community, generational trauma um, as it pertains to, you know, uh, achievement and, and uh, just reaching for those goals that, you know, um, our parents and things like that set for us. So I'll just give you a chance to uh, introduce yourself. Um, just let the people know who you are. All right. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on. I'm Dr. Mercedes Okosi. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in New York, um, and I practice at a clinical research setting at New York University and then also work in private practice. Uh, I specialize in trauma, so I can speak to the topic of the day, but I also think about trauma as it intersects with uh, culture and how uh, there are different cultural expressions uh, of mental uh, health, and then also work with the various uh, different populations in terms of mood disorders, personality disorders, and more. Got it. Got it. Okay, so just to start off, what, what, is, um, what is generational trauma, if you have to define it? Yeah, so I would define, sometimes it's called intergenerational trauma, sometimes it's called transgenerational trauma, or like across generations, or people will colloquially call it um, generational curses. So it's basically the idea that through various means of uh, transmission, which we'll talk about, uh, from one generation to another, people end up experiencing either similar experiences or similar types of distressing symptoms that are related to trauma. So sometimes it can be that the same types of trauma happen to them because they're in the same environment or other means of uh, passing down particular patterns of behavior or norms of thinking uh, or practices. So with intergenerational trauma, um, you might have from one generation to another signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder uh, that are manifested in different ways. So these, so these are inherited? Yeah, so for example, there are, I would say three primary ways, but their research is continuing to grow in terms of how trauma is transmitted. And I'll also talk about what kind of events can lead to uh, intergenerational trauma transmission. So you'll have like broad, spectrum events that happen to a whole group of people, whole ethnic group, whole country, for example, um, and can affect 
multiple generations of that culture, even if they weren't directly exposed. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of the original formal research on this topic was around uh, the impact of the Holocaust on the Jewish population. But we know that that wasn't the first or last traumatic event that happened to a large group of people. So you can think of other things like colonization, slavery, displacement, um, wars, civil wars within countries and things like that, that had a broad sweeping historical impact for a particular ethnic. That's one um, kind of area. But then there's also family specific intergenerational trauma. So you can have things like mental illness within the family that's unresolved or substance use disorders that are unresolved, abuse within families that um, transmits across generations or other types of traumatic events, life-threatening or abusive uh, events. And the way that that ends up being transmitted is one, like I said, the next generation because of systemic factors can be in the same type of environment uh, of the previous generation and just more vulnerable to experiencing the same trauma. So for example, if you have generations of a family living in poverty, which is a systemic kind of traumatic exposure, you might have the current generation be still more vulnerable to things like community violence uh, or just the neglect that can come along with poverty and lack of resources. Um, so there's environmental factors. There's also emerging evidence around epigenetics. So the idea that the genes and environment are commingling and shaping each other. And a lot of that is around how stress hormones of uh, parents or previous generations can impact children, even as early as in your like prenatal environment. So if you have a parent that's pregnant and experiencing abuse, chronic stress, uh, lack of resources, other types of traumatic events, it's going to have some impact, we believe, on even the prenatal fetal environment of the potential child that comes into the world. And then they're in the environment experiencing uh, some of the environmental chaos as well. The third major way I would say too is the modeling and socialization aspect of things. So there's uh, the potential that if a child is surrounded by the unresolved mental health issues and trauma of adults, they might see things like their parent being very hypervigilant or aggressive or um, avoidant of certain things which are all trauma-related symptoms. And even if the child hasn't experienced trauma directly, could mimic those symptoms or thoughts about the world uh, and have an impact on their behavior. So for example, if you have a parent who is constantly hypervigilant, thinks that the world is unsafe and that you can't trust other people, whether they're explicitly saying that to the child or not, the child may pick up on those behaviors and have some generational trauma-related symptoms. And I, I, didn't want to, I just had a question um, in terms of the um, environmental factors like poverty. How do you see that shapes um, the way, um, just even African parents, how do you see that shapes the way that they 
um, raise their kids and some of the things that they teach their kids growing up? Yeah. So I guess I can speak a little bit generally, but uh, specifically to from a Nigerian first generation American person's experience. Most of our parents um, came to the US or like to the West or wherever you might be from, right. from Nigeria um, during like 60s and 70s. Previously, I believe there was like an immigration restriction. So the majority of migration was during that time. So then you also have to think about historically the context of like uh, Nigeria only became an independent country from uh, Britain in like 1960, right? So not that long ago, um, during some of our parents' uh, childhoods, also historical events in terms of within Nigeria, different ethnic conflicts and Afro war and things like that. So I think this comes up in that cultural context specifically because there is a lot of fear-based motivation when it comes to um, how immigrant parents in general really uh, put certain pressures or expectations on their kids. If you think about the uh, complications of places that they were uh, immigrating from, part of experiencing trauma is kind of constantly living in a survival mode. Mm. Um, if you didn't have basic resources or things to keep yourself safe or in a safe environment, but even if you had those things, even if there were uh, ways that you were emotionally unsafe and just trying to survive in the most basic ways, there's was probably not a lot of space to uh, think about like thriving emotionally and living out your dreams and being flexible and doing whatever you wanted to do. So a lot of the times when an immigrant parent might uh, be pressing the issue of being like doctor, lawyer, engineer, yeah, yeah, if not yeah. that at least get a PhD or if not that at least like own a business or something. Yeah. There's a fear that like all of the sacrifices they made, all of the trials and tribulations that got them to, to that point um, are invested in their child. And they're fearful that if their child doesn't go in the most guaranteed direction for success, that catastrophe will happen. And that's usually financially based, right? Yeah, I think a lot of it is like, how can I encourage the best financial future in terms of stability? Um, and just like how finances are a realistic part of how you create stability in other ways in your life. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot of it is a, kind of a fear-based all or nothing kind of thing that comes from uh, trauma experiences or even just from not everyone's immigration story might be the most traumatic specifically, but it does take a lot of um, effort and sacrifice and energy to just take that path. Um, there's one psychologist, I believe, or like 
author that calls it the third uh, individuation. So when we're developing and growing, we individuate from our parents and like learn to meet our own basic needs. And then secondly, you start to individuate even more from your uh, peer group and develop your own identity. When you're crossing from one country to another, you're also having to make the adaptations in your mind of like this other identity you need to take on to adapt and adjust to a whole new environment. So there's a lot of, um, even if it's not an experience that's traumatic, there's a lot of loss that comes with moving across the world um, and having the fear that all of this that I've done may not be worth it if my child doesn't succeed. Now, it's not fair that the kid has to take on all of that burden. Yeah. But I think that the intention and the motivation is coming from uh, that place. So it's not it's not that it's necessarily coming from a bad place. Like they obviously want your want your kids to be as successful as they can be. Um, I can see how that could also be a double-edged sword in terms of, um, you know, they're achieving the things that they're supposed to achieve, but to a certain extent, there is that perfectionism. There is always that comparison. How do you see that in, in the way people raise their kids, passing on yeah. like certain insecurities? That could be an insecurity as well. So, Yeah, all kids in the most ideal, healthy childhood, all kids would receive some kind of um, like mirroring or validation but that helps them to develop an intrinsic or internal motivation and uh, stable self-concept of themselves. So for example, being able to hear from your caregivers, parents, adults around you, like you did a really good job, it was so smart how you put that together, et cetera, to hear those and have those become kind of your internal scripts so you feel an inner sense of confidence not to say that external rewards don't work, but it's more unstable to um, only externally motivate or constantly have comparison. So if, even when you're receiving good news, um, good news or bad news, if it's always like you're at the top of the class, so you did better than all the other kids, so that's why it's good, or when you're not achieving as well, like be your age mates, so and so are <laughs> so and so already already got accepted. Yeah. This program. That makes it so that if there's not at least a balance between the internal and external motivators, someone can end up feeling a lot of shame with yeah. that comparison. Um and lack a lot of the internal kind of reinforcers. So that even when you do, like everyone will at some point fail at something, yeah. be able to remember to yourself um, from those earliest uh, attachments with caregivers that like, I as a person have skills and qualities and abilities and this task or achievement or whatever is maybe one thing I haven't achieved, but I'm not void of the capabilities. Whereas if it's only external and black and white, then you'll always kind of feel some sense of shame unless you're like 
constantly at the top. Yeah. Um, and it also just helps you to be a little bit healthier and flexible thinking. Like we, in, in kind of like a self-preservation, self-protective way, it's natural to focus in on the negative because we want to avoid future negative things. Yeah. But if it's so rigid that, like, you bring home a test and it's a 98 and you're preparing to hear where are the other two points points, or something like that, then, like, when do you get the time to appreciate and reinforce good things that you achieve? Right. Right. So even in that, so how does the ability to identify as one trauma, how does that help in shifting, like, their personal narrative or just, uh, um, I guess, that self-esteem? Yeah, so with uh particular traumatic events but even just like intergenerational trauma patterns part of recovering from trauma uh, uh being aware of it and then processing it and and healing from it is integrating it into your life in a way that's uh meaningful so what i mean by that is a lot of times there can be Uh, One of the primary symptom areas of trauma is avoidance, and it actually helps perpetuate the other symptoms of trauma. If you're constantly avoiding or constantly, whether sometimes it's conscious avoiding, sometimes it's like a defense mechanism, you never develop the ability to cope with the reminders or symptoms or issues that come up. Um, So part of it is developing a sense of Uh, ability to self-reflect, to notice when there's a change in your emotional state or behaviors, okay, I'm going to actively observe and think about where is this coming from? Where have I seen this or heard this before? Or what pattern do I start to notice when this same thing happens? Um, And then being able to Immerse yourself also in the process of accepting the things that have happened. Not to say that the things that may happen that were traumatic were correct or right or fair, um, but accepting that you're here now in the present and those things have happened in the past. You don't have to lock them away, but you can empower yourself to be more in control of noticing when reminders conflicts, things come up, um, dealing with the feelings or behaviors or negative thoughts in a more productive way. And how, and how do we do this? How exactly do we do this? Yeah, so various kind of different uh, coping skills. So for example, a lot of the time when I'm working with people individually or in groups on trauma work, one of the most basic coping skills that we teach people is just deep breathing. So when you're experiencing a lot of anxiety, you're likely taking really shallow breaths, kind of not really aware or mindful of um, being present with yourself. Yeah. So that's like the basic of basic is just learning how to be in the present by slowing down, being in control of your breathing. Then there are other types of skills like um, affirmations and imagery that you can do, Um, but also just like 
physical self-care kind of things. So um, different types of uh, muscle relaxation exercises uh, and grounding skills to literally like remind yourself that you're in the present, not in danger, not in conflict currently um, to, to help yourself be in the present. In terms of some of the uh, family stuff, we also too talk a lot about uh, how to use effective communication skills to talk about boundaries and expectations and when you need to say no and how to say no in an effective way that um, and resolve conflicts in an effective way where you might be in the face of things that are that you now have been able to identify as like okay this is a, a family trauma pattern for example let's say someone says I noticed that in my family when conflict comes up around uh, whatever topic that like people either completely avoid or on the other extreme, it's like yelling, aggression, etc. Being able to notice that pattern and manage expectations around one, how much am I going to be able to intervene and be the one to make any particular changes or get other people on board? And then two, um, if I can uh, communicate how I, what I'm noticing, how I'm feeling to my family so that they become aware as well, what are the particular words I'm going to use to communicate that so that they can also understand what I'm seeing. Because a lot of times it's like the normal thing, no one talks about it, um, and no one makes any moves to kind of make a change. Because in families, families are systems, and even if something is unhealthy, people are usually operating around maintaining the norm of that system. So... And on that subject, you say that, um, I guess, particular traditions actually play into um, the perpetuation of certain uh, generational traumas? I think so. I think some things that people might consider normal are not the most healthy things um, or but it's a touchy subject, too, because I think sometimes when it's something that uh, feels like deeply culturally ingrained for someone to ask them to change or to point out that it might not be healthy feels like another loss, like you're yeah. taking away something. And we always talk about when trying to teach people other healthy, healthier alternatives that to just tell someone to stop doing something and do something else instead, one, they haven't had the opportunity to learn that thing or to be on board with why it might not be the best option. Um, and then two, in the process of them stopping the other coping mechanism, coping mechanism they might have been doing and learning this new one, there'll be challenges. So for example, the 
contested issue of like corporal punishment and whether or not that is or isn't always like child abuse to yeah. spank your kids, take your kids, etc. If you just told someone this is wrong, stop doing it, they might not have like the tools in their parenting toolbox to know what else to do the next time their kid uh, does something to disobey or throws a tantrum. Yeah. And parenting is another vehicle of like how people uh, can transmit uh, intergenerational trauma. But if you ex but if you examine and develop rapport with that person so they can explain to you why they hit their kid, how they feel when they're doing it, the aftermath, how does their kid feel? Is it even effective? Um, have they tried other things? And then offer them an additional um, tool to try out to potentially replace something that might be really harmful, um, then they are more likely to come on board with making uh, changes and can potentially uh, at least with some behaviors, stop the ongoing pattern of things that may be unhealthy but seem culturally normal to people. Gotcha. So then overall, so what would be your message to uh, to parents if they, they don't want to um, actively, uh, I guess, contribute to generational trauma? My message to parents would be to think about the things that you needed or wanted and didn't get as a kid, whether that was like some sort of emotional safety or support, um, something about your environment that you uh, thought could have been better, wanted or needed. Um, think about the things that you might've seen your parents experience when you were a kid. And that now that you're a parent, if there are any of those things that are under your control, that you can provide a different life for your child um, to start to find ways that you can make those changes. Um, and also to prepare yourself for uh, the potential backlash that also comes with changing patterns and doing things differently to practice finding the language to be assertive and to communicate like, hey, okay, auntie so-and-so says like, this is the way, but I am going to communicate that these are different decisions that I wanna make with my kid and for these reasons, and that I have the, the right to do that to make things different. Um, so really developing empathy for your child, given, your thoughts and reflections of your own childhood. Um, yeah, and remembering too that like, your child is in these early stages of development where so much uh, is gonna matter to them in terms of what they learn and absorb and model after you. This is the perfect opportunity to uh, model specific behaviors and values and things that you want them to carry into adulthood. So if you are able to manage your emotions, work on your uh, potential traumas you've experienced or other struggles, your kid can also see that, okay, hey, I might go through difficult times, but I'm able to have 
tools to manage those things, whether it's particular coping skills or practices or just like healthy lifestyle things that I see my parent doing, or it's actually reaching out to professionals. Gotcha. And do you feel like parents are always aware of, uh, I guess, how some of their behaviors actually are just uh, a microcosm of the kids' behavior, like how they behave as well? No, I think all parents are aware. Uh, I think it definitely sometimes can take a community for uh, other people around to give people feedback. Uh, I think it, it definitely takes some introspection and, and analysis of yourself to become more aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not always. Okay. Um, I, uh, this this question is a little it's a little off topic a bit, but I just wanted to ask just just to ask, um, what's your favorite uh, Nigerian dish? This might sound like the obvious cliche answer to give, but I feel like Igusi soup never fails me okay. pretty much. Okay. Um, but sometimes though, you know, sometimes other varieties are also up there, like bitter leaf soup. With, with soup or what? You just eating Igusi soup? No, with like swallow and everything too. Yeah. There's people that don't know what you're talking about. That's why I was just yeah. Oh, I don't okay. <laughs> I pounded yam or you know okay gosh gotcha, gotcha. all right um all right so I just want to uh just make sure I'm you know keeping track of time so um usually how we end the show is uh leaving the audience with uh one piece of advice um what would that advice be yeah so in terms of thinking to this topic in general I would ask your audience to just reflect on um, some basic kind of questions about how your family deals with or doesn't deal with uh, emotions or difficult conversations, what uh, pressures there might be around achievement and how rigid or flexible things are in your family. And I think just thinking about those things can potentially lead you down the reflection or conversation on whether if those things are related to uh, intergenerational trauma. And speaking of that, I actually have, I don't know if I can self a moment. Yeah, that's, that was my next question. So yeah, go ahead, do that. Yeah. So I made a deck of cards that kind of started this conversation. Um, you can find this on my website, growthworksite.org. Hold it up, hold oh, up. That. I can't, they can't see it. Let it yeah. What is it called? The reunion? Where, where can people find that? They can find it at my website, growthworksite.org. Um, but it's basically a deck of cards that have various facts about trauma uh, so you can learn together with family, friends, partners, whoever, um, but then also questions and topics and prompts that you can explore with each other. Um, so for example, how has intergenerational trauma impacted our family's attitude towards seeking help? You might be the first person in your family to even consider going to therapy 
Um, and a lot of times, especially with immigrant families and families of color, they'll try every other avenue yeah. before going to a professional. And a lot of times come to us when things are in crisis mode or at their worst, after everyone has told them to just pray or just do this or that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talking to your family about like, why never, has anyone never gone to therapy? Yeah. Um, but then also talking about like resilience and positive stories around your family, like what's your favorite family story? Who in your family do you consider uh could you turn to or uh is like a person you consider a strong or resilient person in your family? Um and various other topics you can talk about that you may not have had language or ideas to talk about before that's, 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 that's uh, is that like a could that be a group thing or no or is that just more of a personal it can thing? be a group thing okay. yeah okay, okay. And, well, i can um, give you the link to that yeah. for you what were you saying i said i can give you the link to that so you can share oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put that in the uh the show notes as well but um where can uh, people find your your work your services um what you offer yeah, so my work at NYU is research specific, but uh, if you are in the New York area and are looking for a therapist, I have a wait list right now, but I also have therapists that work under me that can maybe see you. Um, you can go to growthworkpsych.org, but you can also find me on Instagram at Oposi underscore psych. Um, and in just various places like on psychology today and therapy for black girls etc um you can buy books on amazon if you're making your entry into therapy and want to do some self-help there's one called the complex ptsd journal where you'll do particular trauma recovery exercises and topics and then there's a specific uh, Black Women's Mental Health Journal that touches on topics spe specific to race and gender uh, experience. Yeah. Also, speaking of Nigeria, shout out to my co-founder, uh, Dami Lola. We have a developing nonprofit where we talk about specific uh, Nigerian mental health concerns. And you can find us at BR underscore CANMA, C-A-N-M-H. It's the Coalition for the Advancement of Nigerian Mental Health on Instagram. Please, watch please send me all that. I'll send you all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll put that in. I'll put that all in the show notes as well. Um, and she has a wait list, guys. So that means she's, she's obviously good at what she does. So. <laughs> But yeah, no, I just want to uh, thank you for uh, joining me on today's show. I, I I learned a lot, so I hope um our audience also learned a lot as well. So thank you for having me again. Most definitely. And that wraps up today's episode. Um, it's a pleasure. Thank the listeners. Um, whether you're a new listener, somebody who's a returning listener, um, because we we tend to get a lot of returning listeners. You know, they don't subscribe, but. Um, it'll be greatly appreciated if you can uh, support in any way, just leave a review. Um, you know, we want to continue to, you know, deliver and, you know, bring content that really resonates with the audience. So, um, yeah, 
greatly appreciate that and uh, have a blessed day.